0: Welcome back, what's up Finches? Oh my God, welcome back to my favorite birder. It has been so long. What is going on? Everyone's gone crazy. I am, I'm still April, am I? I don't know. All right, I am, I don't know. I'm happy. I'm happy that you're here and I'm so excited that you joined me, but I'm more excited to tell you about my guest this week, but this week was April 10th. Yeah, we had a bit of a hiatus, whatever. (laughs) lives his passion his passion what do you think it is birds 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 of course he's a photographer an author a naturalist a broadcaster public speaker a tour leader he was even a dj you have to see those (laughs) pics he was born and raised across the pond but he travels the world bringing his passion to the masses recently He was named as the seventh most influential person in wildlife by the BBC Wildlife magazine. I'm talking about the one and the only, the urban birder, David Lindo. Woo, 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 what, yeah!
1: cheerio <laughs> yeah, I, should be, I should be wearing urban birder branding but it doesn't matter
0: listen your face is the brand right urban birder but i can't believe you already had four books i feel so terrible see this is the first thing first rule is do your research and i was so like oh my god look at this book it really is good i'm very impressed well written and good pictures too.
1: I'm Hopefully doing an American version of it. But obviously the coronavirus has, has uh, kind of stopped plans in its track I know.
0: I feel bad for so many people that even just the biggest week in birding, what a huge opportunity. You know what I mean? That was for so many people.
1: Well, the British Bird Watching Fair is cancelled and the London Wildlife Festival for which I am the co curator, that's been cancelled too. That was that's happening in July, so
0: Yeah. We had a stand still, I guess, for now. We'll see how we all fear through this. I was worried. Um, oh, what's his name? Got him. I always call him the wrong name, but I'm gonna talk to him later today. And he and another friend went to he was the e-birder of the month. I think last month. I don't know. I don't check eBird. But they were in South America <laughs> right before the lockdown, and they were flying home. He and his friend from Ohio State University. They were flying home on a Monday and our lockdowns started like Monday at midnight. I was so stressed out like a mama hen. I would, you know, like I've met him a few times, talked to him on Facebook. That's it. And I was so worried. <laughs> I'm like, what if they can't get back in the country? Oh my God, they're there by themselves. What if the drug cartel catches them? Oh my God. <laughs> like I was a mess worried about them. <laughs> but it is it's scary. Now you don't get scared traveling all over the world or do you? I won't say scared. Let's say nervous.
1: I I, I don't like, I mean, I used to like flying. I don't like flying anymore now, only because I hate airports and I hate all the the sort of sitting around in planes. I hate all that stuff now. Um, I don't actually get afraid, but there's been case times when, like, for example, I went to Jordan in November last year, and um, when I got out of the airport, um, I got stopped by security because I had a telescope, and they kept me... for. 45 minutes, threatening to confiscate my telescope. And I was really, really not, not happy about it.
0: Did a white person go through with the telescope, though?
1: Well, I've got a story along those lines as well. But oh, I
0: bet you do.
1: And then on the way back, um, after being in Jordan, on the way back, um, I was in the airport leaving. I got stopped five times, five separate times. And I was even told I couldn't check in because the check-in had closed. And I was really so angry, but I had to open the check-in again. And then the other time um, was when I went to Georgia and I got stopped um, for no reason as I was coming into the country and asked...
0: Georgia the country or Georgia in the States? Georgia the country.
1: near, uh, near Above Turkey. And basically they asked me for my ticket, my air ticket, which I thought was a bit weird. So anyway, they went off and then 10 minutes later came back, kept my ticket back, didn't say anything. But by this point, I'm the last guy in the line to go pass through passport control. So I went up to the window, gave my passport. The woman looked at my passport for about five minutes, called her colleague over. They both looked at it. And then they said, have you got any other form of ID? And I was thinking, but the passport's the ultimate ID. Right. I gave them my driving license. I looked at it for another 10 minutes and then gave it back to me and said, okay. And that was it. And then I was just about to go through and they stopped me again and asked me to open up my bag. Um, what am I doing here? All that sort of stuff. And I was thinking, why are you asking me? And there's like sixty people before me. And you Didn't say a word to them. Right. Anyway, Smuggling yeah. cocaine and all the other shit. But it wasn't. I mean, that wasn't fear. It was just annoyance, really. So traveling. No, I don't normally get afraid because normally, um, when I go to places, I'm invited and um, I'm looked after. Um, interestingly, when I came to Cleveland, Ohio, for the first time it was a bit of an adventure in a way because I landed in Chicago and it was the first snows of the winter. So the whole place is covered in snow. And I lost, I managed to lose my, my phone in Chicago airport. Oh no. And then I flew from Chicago to Pittsburgh and then from Pittsburgh in in the darkness, I drove from Pittsburgh to Cleveland. And I, I didn't know where I was going and speed limits and the big trucks and on the wrong side of the road no <laughs> i'm used to that because of uh and europe they drive the same side of the road as you so that's fine but it was just oh they do i thought
0: they were the opposite my bad see i thought
1: i was funny <laughs> england but it was a bit kind of weird yeah it's a weird sort of uh it was a weird journey and then getting into cleveland and not knowing you know the roads um it's a bit nerve-wracking, actually, in the middle of the very night. Very much so. But yeah, I don't, get, I don't normally get afraid of travelling, no. I'm normally quite fine about it. Well, I like travelling. I think it's um, quite interesting. Um, I mean, it's, what's interesting from my perspective is that I'm often the only black guy on a plane, very often. In fact, I, I normally only see black people on planes when I'm flying to the States or the Caribbean or to Africa. I mean, I go to places like Serbia two or three times a year. I, I'm, the only, I'm the only brother on the whole play, and it doesn't affect... Def- now oh. have
0: people ever been like, oh, there's who, like whoever, like some <laughs> famous person, <laughs> I don't know, whoever like mistaking you for like a black famous person, have you ever had that?
1: What, being mistaken for someone else? Yes. Yeah, I because mean... Because you're I, black. Yeah, I mean, I remember being in Ireland once and being mistaken for a soccer player who played for Manchester United
0: that get you I've had a bunch of free drinks (laughs) so. well
1: it was um kids and I told them well they wouldn't they wouldn't believe me so in the end I had to sign an autograph in the name
0: autographs that's right you got to please the fans (laughs) I would have been all over that I would have been like carrying a soccer ball around (laughs) get the jersey (laughs) my son my eldest he's 36 he'll be 37 this year. And he was on a plane and he got mistaken for Dax Prescott, who is the quarterback for Dallas Cowboys football, our football, not football, whatever. And he's like, "Damn, man, they were like, oh, Dax Prescott and getting free drinks. And and he does, he looks just like him when he has, you know, nice, good shave gone and, you know, fresh from the barber. He really does. I'm like, oh my God, that's the only person I've ever seen that he is like the whatever they call it. Dampelginger
1: or whatever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. He he does. He looks just like a
1: But then I've had instances where black birders in the UK have been mistaken for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: I'm not nothing like me, by the way. But um. right,
0: Jason Ward, they they he showed me um when we were hanging out at the whatever fest in Florida, North Mount Dora, whatever. He showed me a post where someone had said, like Drew, you know, here birding, and it was him, or vice versa. You know what I mean? And he, I'm like, oh my god. He goes, yeah, it happens, you know, because I'm the black birder, you know. There's only one or two or three, and I'm like. Yeah, that's what we have to change,
1: you know? Because in the UK, Definitely. I mean, I'm probably the most active black birder, not only just in UK, but in Europe. Um, there's a couple of, I mean, in maybe 10 years, I've probably met three or four bl- black birders. And none of them are kind of, you know, very active. So yeah, it's interesting. And that's I, I been the case all my life. You know, I've been <clears throat> birding since I was a small kid. And when I was a kid, I used to get a lot of uh, hassle from, actually, funny enough, from black kids, who really, yeah, who said to me, "What are you doing? What are you watching birds for?" That's that's being English, and then I me responded, being to,
0: white. Then yeah. if they say English,
1: yeah, but I said, "Well, hang on a minute, you know, you're calling me English, but you're born in England yourself." So yeah, I had to learn to run fast. But I mean, it's basically. <laughs> You know, it's one of those things that it wasn't acceptable for a black kid to be in, into something that was perceived as being a domain of someone white. Right. But, you know, I've done it all my life. And, you know, I've never, as far as I know, I've never, only once, I've ever had any racial prejudice from a birder. Most of the time it's been totally no problem at all. Always very welcoming. Which is interesting because now in the UK, there's a lot, there's a few people sort of speaking very loudly about, the fact that it's the lack of ethnic diversity is due to the fact that there's racism whenever they go out into, into the countryside or what have you. And that is complete, as far as I'm concerned, complete rubbish um, because I've never met anything but welcoming arms and people saying, oh, so, you know, they're very interested. I mean, back in the day, I remember when I was like, you know, in my early twenties, I used to date a white birder girl and we used to go birding together, and it was quite funny because we'd go out birding and people would come up to us, look at me, and think, oh, he doesn't know anything. Look at her, oh, she's a woman, and then walk past both of us. <laughs> so we used to play on that. But, you know, I've never, I've never received that sort of level of uh, racism ever whilst birding. I've always received, you know, good, you know, helpful people. I mean, sometimes you get people who are a bit funny, but then they could be funny anyway, generally. Um, That's true. I think in UK, part of the reason why there isn't that diversity is the fact that some of it's cultural, um, especially amongst the Asian grouping. I mean, for us, Asians are people from India. Um, oh. For you guys, it's the Oriental people, but basically, it's paper. Uh, I
0: think Oriental we're not allowed to say anymore. That's a rug. We have to say um a- Asian. <laughs> I think I don't know. I saw it on Amy Schumer. It might not be true.
1: I <laughs> has all these words. But, um, <laughs> there's there's cultural differences. I mean, for example, I mean I'm a the vice president of the friends of um, Suntrap which is an educational facility in East London, in, in Epping Forest, which is actually, you know, a forest basically. So it's a forest school and kids from schools in, in London can go there and spend a couple of days, you know, staying out in huts and learning about nature. And some Asian will allow their daughters to go out, visit these things, because daughters are not allowed to be spending, you know, overnight in places. And then there's other things like this irrational fear I mean I noticed that like, when I was in Ohio, I went to a couple of schools with Buster. When I went to his school, for example, I met the Bird nerds.
0: I don't know where the ad is. Where is the Ad at?
1: But, uh, I know
0: where Cleveland is. I don't know where who Buster
1: or what I don't know. teacher who um right who's a teacher in a school in a very sort of uh, Afro American area and most of the pupils are Afro Afro American.
0: Oh, 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 oh. Liz McQuaid's friend. I, yes, he does the. Uh, is it Young Birders Clubs? Yeah, he
1: called it the bird. He calls it the bird nerds.
0: Okay, yeah, I have heard of him. I have not had the pleasure to meet him yet.
1: He's a great guy, a really great guy. And that's uh, what
0: Liz said. They've been friends for like forever, and yeah, she loves him.
1: He's so dedicated, you know. But he's he's got these kids into to being interested in birds they go out birding, and some of these kids, you know. They come from poor, very poor families, you know. But anyway, I was talking to the kids, and what's interesting is is their perceptions. You know, they think that if they went out on their own into the woods, they get killed by a deer. Um, and I'm saying, deer. I said, I said, are you afraid of dogs? Oh, no, dogs are great. Well, do you not realize that dogs kill, you know, 6,000 times more people than deer? Right. So it's all these perceptions, and I've noticed that's the same thing in the UK as well, a lot of, I mean, even my sister, who's, you know, a woman, you know, grown woman, she um, displays these sort of tendencies of, you know, hearing rubbish and thinking that, you know, that's gonna affect her. Like, for example, when she came to visit me in Spain, we went out for a walk and I said, look, there's some vultures up there. And she was like, said, no, oh, vultures. <laughs> we might be you know, i like like that sort of stuff, you know, it's just very stupid, really. So it's education. And I think part of the reason in the UK as to why uh, this you know, hasn't been addressed is the, is the way that nature uh, is portrayed by the media. And it's still portrayed as a white middle-class, middle-aged pursuit. You turn, yeah, on,
0: absolutely. The TV, you
1: turn on the TV and most of the presenters are white middle-class men. Um, you don't see any other representation. So um, kids, no matter what color, creed, religion, they turn on the TV. They see this middle-class guy in Africa with people walking behind him carrying his bags, thinking, "Well, actually, that's not me." And then they move on. So I think that's a real problem in, this, in the UK. And I, in my work, you know, I, I try to engage with people in urban areas to get them to notice and see wildlife. I don't particularly pick out black people or white people. I pick out everyone because at the end of the day, we're all, you know, in the same melting pot. And I think it's not a racial thing. I think it is a more of a a socio-demographic thing. If you live in the middle of the city, you're more likely to be less off than someone who has a nice big house on the outskirts, you know, or lives in the country. So it's trying to get people to understand that it's accessible for everyone. And it's not just, for white middle-class middle-aged people it's actually for everyone and I think that's the the issue and I think for me in the UK certainly my biggest obstacle is the way the media portrays it I mean the urban birding thing I've been doing it now professionally for 15 years and I know when I first started it was seen as some kind of novelty as some kind of lesser um, situation to what should be happening you know And Mm -hmm. what I don't realise is it's just as skilled as anything else, you know. Um, But it was viewed as being some sort of novelty. And the way I counteracted it was to try and sell the idea of urban birding as a lifestyle choice. So up there with yoga and meditation. Because that was the only way I could get media to understand. that actually, you know, this is serious and also anyone can do it. And you have to say it in their language for them to understand that. So it's been a sort of a long battle for me, actually, to try and, you know, normalise the whole idea of being interested in birds. I think now when I look around me, I see so many people of different colours and creeds showing an interest. When I give talks in cities now, I get a mix of people coming to see me. And some of them are sort of curious people. They've come along, I'm kind of interested, but I feel a bit nervous about it. And I try and say to them, look, you don't need to be an expert. You don't need to have any knowledge at all. You know, it's not about reaching some kind of level and having X amount of species under your belt after 12 months or being able to recite every single species known to man. It's nothing to do with that. It's about your connection to nature. And whether that connection be just looking at your yard and seeing the birds that come in your yard and not even knowing what they are, but just enjoying them, or all the way to the other extent, being a, a, an ornithologist working at Cornell or something. It doesn't matter. You know. Right. It's sort of about opening your mind to nature and, and getting on the wavelength, no matter where you are. And how, when you do do that, it becomes such a grounding thing and makes you feel great. And what's interesting, with all this lockdown business going on now, this is the age of urban birding. It's really fascinating. I've seen it on Facebook now. I've seen so many groups set, form from people in their houses watching birds and just counting what they see and talking about it amongst themselves. And, you know, for me to sit on my sun terrace here, because I'm locked down in Spain for the last 26 days and spending an hour, I mean, I did it today, I sat down and I put my dark glasses on because I need to look cool as well. And then I- <laughs>
0: That's the black in you, I'm joking. <laughs> That's why I wear them too no,
1: <laughs> I, I, I i look Our up second
0: drink already people this is why I'm on my second bloody Mary
1: <laughs> i I look up in the sky and immediately you just become grounded. you just see this immense arena, these beautiful clouds, and then whilst you're looking at the clouds, you notice birds you know I see. Uh, swallows, I see house martins, I see vultures, I see eagles, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of birds to prey around here. And it's great. You just think, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, how many people have seen this? And I've got some neighbours across the way from me who um, I've only just started speaking to since the lockdown. And now they're looking at birds, you know, because at first they thought I was looking at their daughter because their daughter is from <laughs> But when I realized I was a birder, now they're really interested and they're looking up and they, 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 you know, in Spanish saying, oh, what's that? What's this? What's that? Oh, I've seen this bird with a black, you know, black body and red beak. So people, are, you know, it's so easy to engage people, you know. And I think, you know, I think in the past it's been all about trying to make it seem as if you have to have knowledge and you have to, you know, have a certain degree of this and that and what have you. And it's nothing to do with that at all. It's all about just getting people connected.
0: Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's why the whole idea with the podcast was the exact same thing. You know, and I guess I always thought of it as old white people for yeah. birders. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's exactly why because I felt intimidated when I started going to some park thing, the older white people in their khaki's with their whatever swaworski whatever binoculars and their big ass cameras and you know what i mean and i wouldn't have asked them any you know what i mean who was i you know i was sitting there wearing god knows what <laughs> tattoos and, you know what i mean like i'm not trying to whatever you know like it was kind of like a different set of people that were birders and even though um a lot of people go at me well Oh, she's a white lady, too. What is she worried about? But I've always not felt that way. Or I've seen the, like, racism or the difference in who you are or who you associate with or, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of always been that thing. And I don't know if it's an American thing or a, across the world that everyone has that. But being scared out in the, I think, who was it? Jason or someone had posted, like, a... When you see a F-150 jacked up with a rebel flag and four white dudes get out in camo. Yeah. I'm scared. Absolute. I don't care what, you know what I mean? I'm always nervous with that. I'm never comfortable out burning in, in an isolated area, which I normally won't do by myself. If I do it's from the car or I stay within the side of my car and I'm packing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think there's a difference for women and men and a difference for the races here. Yeah,
1: I, I, mean, that's I really see it. And a lot way.
0: of people aren't that way, but it's still very prevalent. Yeah, I that's, see it.
1: Yeah, it's not issue with women as well. So totally, that's another problem in terms of yeah. people being interested or feeling that I can be interested because I feel like it's a male-orientated, you know, pursuit But in America, I've noticed that there's quite a lot of women, a hell of a lot of women interested in birding. And that's becoming the case in the UK as well. And in Spain, there's a lot of women that are interested in birds. And a lot of them are young women as well. You know, which is That's awesome.
0: I went to the Young Birders Conference in Toledo last year. Liz McQuaid invited me. And I was so happy to see how many young people are interested. I'm like, I wish someone would have told me when I... Because now I feel like I've wasted so much time. How many birds did I miss? You know what I mean? Like, so I'm happy that they're able to get that at an early age. But definitely I want to see more young birders and more diversity in birding. Yeah. I think that's like a huge thing. And I heard your presentation in Cleveland <laughs> when we met. But what
1: was your spark bird? I didn't really have one, to be honest. Uh, there were. I didn't have anyone to show me. I taught myself. I didn't have a mentor, so sparrows were baby birds as far as I was concerned. I didn't really have a spark bird. I just saw birds generally and just fell in love with them um, at a very early age. So I can't imagine any part of my life that wasn't filled with birds.
0: What's that's your my, favorite
1: bird? Yeah, my favorite bird is called a ring oozle. I'm just trying to see if I can. Uh, a ring oozle, which is a type of thrush, it's related to the uh, American robin um it is um found in the uk it's found only in the summer in really wild areas in western and northern britain uh it's very shy um and i thought i'd never see one because i didn't have anyone around me to take me to um that's a renewal there
0: oh pretty the body looks like a robin or a thrush
1: yeah it's the same same family. I have not even wanted to take me to, you know, the Cairngorms in Scotland or to um, Snowdonia in Wales to see these birds. But as it happens, I actually saw my first ones properly in London because I saw them migrating through the city to get to, well, these birds are going to Scandinavia. So my favourite bird came to see me, which is amazing. And even in Spain, where, in this part of Spain, in Extremadura, um, they're not really common, in fact, they're quite rare um, visitors. But I even managed to see a, a wintering flock of eight birds on a mountainside. And I even went to um, Seville. Um, I was doing, a, I was writing an article about urban birding in Seville. I went to a park filled with people, you know, walking their dogs, holding hands, and all that sort of stuff. And then I noticed a bird flying overhead. I looked up and it was a female ring ouzel. So they follow me around the world.
0: See you there. It's your spirit bird. <laughs> oh, I just got a uh, text Hi. from Janice that there's a snowy owl <laughs> down the road. I've seen them. They used to hang out on telephone poles over here by I've my never, house when I started birding.
1: I've never seen a snowy owl.
0: Oh, they're so pretty. I worked an hour away. I'm a nurse, so I left at to be there at seven. So I'd leave my house at five thirty, and I'm driving down two twenty four, and I look up and I see this huge white thing on the telephone pole. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, I swear to God, that looked like an owl. So I turned around and went back and took pictures with my cell phone, which were awful, but it was a snowy owl. And then it stayed there like half the winter. It just hung out there. I called Lorraine County Parks and I was like, Hey, there's a snowy owl. I'm sure like, who would I tell someone would want to know? Cause I didn't have Facebook. And she's like, yeah, I don't know who you would tell. I'm like, okay, whatever. (laughs) And now, like, with Chase Birds and everything, I'm like, man, I know how many people, you know, would have been all over there (laughs) if I would have, you know, known about that. But I just had Instagram at the time. I put it on there, but I actually, a lot of the, I don't know, to say big birders in Ohio or whatever, I followed anyway, so they knew about it.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Unknowingly, I knew that they were big birders. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I kind of know who's who, I'm like, oh, I've known them for years on Instagram.
1: But you know, yeah, I've never seen a snowy owl. Yeah, they're beautiful. And I, I vowed never to twitch one. I'd rather, you know, go actually find one naturally or go to somewhere where they actually hang out normally. Right. So that's why I need to come to Cleveland in the winter.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I didn't chase, I guess, birds. My first one that I went to go see because it was hanging out so long was a brambling, brambling something. And that's where I met Liz McQuaid. And I stood across the street from where it was landing and, you know, took pictures with everyone else. You know, I met some people. And they're like, oh, are you on Facebook? I'm like, nope, don't want Facebook. If I wanted people to know where I'm at and talk to people I knew back in the day, I would. Like, I don't want to have Facebook. So I, like, held out as long as I could. But then I was finding out a day late and a dollar short everything. So I'm like, dang it. Oh, I'm going to join that goofy thing. You know, so now I do. But I, I went and saw that one, and I went to an Amish house to try to see what was there. Oh, the Wheatier.
1: Yeah, Wheatier,
0: no, Wheatier. Wheatier. No, no Yes, no, the we I went there, didn't see it. Stood there all day long trying to get varicose veins, you know, whatever. <laughs> I was bad, but I got to meet people. I think that's like the fun of it, like meeting different ones. And then one other one I might have. Went to see, but most of the time, if I hear us, I'm just like, "Yeah, what? Oh, the Rufus hummingbird and um, kingbird. What kind of kingbird? King bird Topical.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because you know I've been interested in birds all my life, and I have a very good working knowledge of birds around the world. But the two regions that I know the best is Europe. I can go anywhere in Europe and feel quite comfortable, and in North America. Um, because I spent a lot of years coming over. I mean, I used to go to L.A. quite a lot. So I was in L.A. Like, for 13 years consecutively. And I, you know, I had local patches. I was known by the local birders there. And I kind of really know a lot of the American birds. And also, some of those American birds obviously show up in the U.K. as well. So they're the two regions I know the best. So if I come to America, I mean, you talk about the birds you're talking about. I know the birds you're talking about. Right. i a lot of them. So it's kind of, for me, I feel quite uh, privileged in a way that I have that knowledge so I can actually, I can come to Cleveland, for example, and hang out and, and know what you're talking about and actually you've seen some of the birds already or if I haven't seen them before, I know what they look like.
0: Right. That's okay. nice because I think that's what holds a lot of people back is not knowing what the birds are or they're not taking note. It can get passed over so easy the next thing you know, you're old and wondering where all the time went and all the birds you missed, like me. (laughs) But isn't it hard to remember all the birds or no? Like you have a good, like for call, you know their calls? Because that's difficult for me.
1: I'm finding it more difficult to be honest because I travel around so much. I, like when I'm in South America, I just completely get lost in what I'm looking at half the time. I forget their names because they're all very similar. Flame Crested flame headed, you know, I get more mixed up. I know, um, I know very well North American birds, I know very well European birds, I know some of the birds in Asia, some of the birds, but then after that I'm struggling to remember. So I think it's a problem, you know, cause it's like what David Bowie said, having, having space in your warehouse. <laughs> My warehouse is pretty full. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I, you know, sometimes I forget, I forget. But not with birds in Europe or in North America, but certainly elsewhere. Yeah, I forget.
0: Yeah. I'll hear a bird and I'm like, wait, which one is that? I know I know that one. And then I have to like try to think which one, like there was a sandhill crane in our woods the other day. And we were back there and I heard it and I'm like, hold on. What is that? I know that I know that noise, you know, but I couldn't place it because we don't have a pond or any, you know, or anything. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, is that a swan? I'm like, oh, it's a sandhill. I'm like, oh, it must have just been going over to the neighbor.
1: Yeah. Well, I have the same problem. I mean, because, you know, I travel. I come back to Spain or I go back to England. And I hear stuff that I hear all the time, or used to hear all the time. Right. A minute to work out what it is because I haven't heard it for a while. So, for example, I go to England and I hear green finches calling, singing. I come here. The same species is here, but it's got a different, slightly different sound. So I'm flying for a minute, I'm, what's that? And I suddenly realize what it is. So yeah, there is that problem occasionally.
0: Maybe that's similar to our black-capped chickadees or something. And then we have the Carolina chickadees. They both mm. look alike to me, but they have the different sound or whatever. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a Carolina.
1: Yeah, there's quite a lot of those uh, pet species pairs around the world. You know, in England, you've got the willow tit and the marsh tit, for example, that look almost identical. It's only in the last 20 years I've actually really, apart from the call, really began to realize what they look you know, the differences in terms of their physical look. So, yeah, they're tricky.
0: Yeah, also,
1: search warbler and reed warbler that look nothing like each other, but they sound totally like each other. And in England, Britain, Europe, the garden warbler and the black cap, again, they look different, but they have very similar songs
0: now do you like now here they are pests but they're they're where they're supposed to be the house sparrows european house sparrows are they as plentiful there as they are here do you think
1: they're very like becoming rarer Uh, in london there's only in central london there's only maybe four places where you can see them now they've declined in uk by over 80 percent in the last 25 years um it's really sad, actually. That Do
0: they know why?
1: I think some of it's down to um, habitat loss because people are making their backyards into patios. They're taking out the hedges that used to separate them from their neighbours and replacing it with sterile wooden fencing. They're planting flora, which is alien to that area, so it doesn't attract as many insects. And even though sparrows eat seeds, they feed their young with insects um, which gives them the vital protein they need to survive the first winter of life and there's less insects now so therefore that's a problem and we're making structures we're building homes and structures without holes so these birds can't nest so sparrows are colonial and once the colony drops below a certain number instead of moving off they just die out so that's basically what's happened. for example I, I lived in Notting Hill in West London for fifteen years, and in fifteen years, I saw one pair of sparrows once for ten minutes and that was it. Wow i mean hyde park, Kensington Gardens, one of the most famous parks in London, you know most people when they come to london they they go there in the thirties, there were three and a half thousand sparrows in the mid seventies when they did the counts, there were about two and a half thousand sparrows still in two thousand and one there was one and there hasn't been a single sparrow since apart from one female seen once for about 10 minutes. There's been no, no sparrows since. They're just complete. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, I wish we could send them all from here
1: there. Gladly take your, your sparrows and your starlings.
0: Starlings are beautiful. I love looking at them cause they're so pretty.
1: They are, they are, they're not great for the ecology, are they? Because they, they, you know they take other birds' nesting opportunities that's a problem though when people stupidly introduce things that shouldn't be in a particular area that's the that's the issue isn't it?
0: yep enter man get problems,
1: yeah,
0: right that's how it is. We always screw something up but i yeah, I would gladly send them all over there <laughs> for y'all so you would have them back. <laughs> I loved your book I so so loved it I was. Pleasantly surprised and you said it's book number four, which for those that don't know Like myself But it was very very well written. I love the illustrations. Yeah, show all your <laughs> I Have mine and it's autographed Keep looking up
1: The illustrations yeah. Are interesting because I I'm, I'm always I've always been very keen to try and involve people who are starting out or need a break, I think it's important because I never got that opportunity and I think it's good to, to get try and give, to help people. And the artists, um, I saw the artists, um, I was first aware of the artist, Stephanie Thorpe online because she does a lot of um, drawings and paintings of rare birds in, in the UK and I loved her style. So I contacted her and said, listen, I'm writing a book would you like to illustrate it? And she said, oh, that'd be fantastic. And I said, but I want you to also draw people. Oh, she goes, that's way out of my comfort area. But she was really, you know, intrigued and she saw it as a challenge. And I said, what's more, the people you draw, I want to make sure that there are more women and more people of color. Right. So that was her brief, and I think she did very well.
0: He did. I loved
1: it. And the thing is, with the pictures, the actual photos, I was trying to get as many images as possible of, uh, of birds in urban contexts. But it is so difficult to find photographs because photographers in the UK, a lot of them, they don't want to take pictures of birds with anything urban in the background at all. They actually get rid of the pictures immediately because they want to show a nice beauty shot, of something sitting on a twig or, you know, with a nice natural habitat behind it. So I had to open up the the whole thing to Europe. And the European wildlife photographers are much more on it when it comes to stuff like that. The front cover of the Jackdaw with the French fries was actually (laughs) taken in Sweden, in in Stockholm. And it was tucking into a box of McDonald's fries. Um, Those are the best. So I thought to myself, that's that's the front cover because I wanted to appeal to people who were not necessarily already birders. Because what's interesting about what I do is that someone, especially in the UK, a lot of the, 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 the elite, the people who think that they're amazing, uh, <laughs> they, shun, they shun some of the stuff I do because they see it as being popularist. They don't see it as being proper birding, some of those people. I mean, I've been told that by some of them. Um, which makes me, you know, laugh, but also I feel sorry for them, because at the end of the day, they want to make it this exclusive elite uh, pastime. But the problem is, once they go, who else is there behind them? And you know I see myself, I see myself as a bridge. I see myself as someone who can inspire people to be interested. Um, they enter the whole world, and then they can go off and do whatever they want. But I introduce them to it. And I think you know that role is very important. And if it means making it popularized, if it means selling it as an idea that could be alongside meditation and yoga, then let's do it. Because yeah. then you are attracting people that never would have been involved in the first place. So that's my, my whole raison d'etre. I'm very much interested in talking to people who would never consider this. Um, at the moment in lockdown, I'm doing um, daily videos talking about what i've seen but i i definitely i uh, try not to be too technical i make it very light as possible so that people don't feel alienated and think oh i don't know what a griffin vulture is i just try and explain everything as if you know no one knows anything because i think it's important to try and not put off people who may potentially be interested
0: i agree and yeah you're right because when you see it in that way then it turns them off to the whole thing or they feel oh i'm not part of this club or um I can't do this because I don't have that information or that knowledge base. You know, which is how I felt, you know, and still do. I think what was the last bird I mis ID recently. might have been a um oh what the heck. It was probably a grackle and I said it was a uh, whatever, something rare coming through or I don't know, I can't remember. And then people be oh ha ha <laughs> You get a bunch of laughing faces when you post something and you know oh that probably was not that <laughs> and then you just play it
1: off you know <laughs> one makes mistakes you know there's one person i saw whose book in his book he wrote i recognize 98 percent of all the birds i see i don't believe that for a second no way and also if you're writing a book that is supposed to be kind of trying to get people involved That's the last thing you should be saying to them because they'll be thinking, oh, I'll never get to that. I'm not interested. Everyone makes mistakes. I think the more mistakes you make, the better you are, not only as a person, but also, you know, learning. Stay humble.
0: Got to be humble. So what is your next adventure? What is your next um, big thing that you're going to do despite the lockdown, I guess, for all of us and the way the
1: world's changing? My plans have changed now because I should have been Leading a tour right now in Spain. And I should have been going to Jamaica on April the 17th. Well,
0: obviously- oh, man. No. <laughs> that was my Jamaican joke. <laughs> so,
1: um, what I'm doing now, I'm, I'm going to start a series of webinars um, starting next Friday. It's Called In Conservation With. In Conservation With. And, but basically, I'm going to have a different guest each, each one and we're gonna talk about their work, but also that person's gonna give advice as to how to do whatever they do, but under lockdown. So for example, I have um, David Attenborough's sound man, his name's Chris Watson, and he's talking about how you know his work with David Attenborough, but then also talking about how to be coiled, um sounds of wildlife from your home using your phone, things like that. And then I've got an artist who's gonna come and talk about watercolour painting, but also to do that home. Um, I'm also reaching out to the states. So I've got uh, I've got a couple of guests. So I've got Jason coming. Um,
0: what? Listen, you tell him. No, I'm joking. <laughs> He'll be like that. Was, oh my guess.
1: <laughs> Ken Hoffman, Drew Lanham, um, Sharon Steitler. You know, I've got a few people um, to who are going to be coming and talking about what they do. So that's my next project.
0: That's awesome.
1: I did a. You know, I started it off a little bit yesterday. I did a Q&A myself and had, you know, a few people come and sort of listen and, and ask questions. So that's my next project under lockdown. Um, but aside from that, you know, I'm always, I'm always doing stuff. And I'm, my whole thing is just trying to get people involved and interested and trying to be as creative as possible uh, in terms of how I do that.
0: Most definitely. And you got to get Karina Newsome. Lena have you seen her she had a video i saw her on youtube doing a rap parody for the count um and i was like oh my god i love her like this is my girl and so i reached out to her oh my god i just saw your video i love 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 it and she's like oh thanks and i'm like i'm starting a podcast when i do will you be a guest she's like sure and i was like "Woo!" and then. I found another podcast about birds. It's so cool. It's called bird, the S word. And I'm like, these hookers got my idea, you know, but and then they interviewed Karina. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like well, I'm not going to call her now or, or text her and say, oh, can I interview you? And you just did like this great interview with them. So I'm going to wait a while, but yeah, she's so, so, so awesome. Um, Oh, yeah, you definitely have to get her. She's doing a lot of work with, now I'll screw it up. That's what, um, not Nelson's sparrows. Which kind of sparrows? And I listened to the whole thing twice. This is my memory. Don't do drugs. (laughs) I can't remember what kind of sparrows. (laughs) All right, we'll edit that out. No, we won't. We'll leave it in because Josh loves all my mistakes I make. What kind of, what is she doing? Doing the marsh, uh, oh, maybe a marsh sparrow. Is there a marsh? Oh, what the hell? I don't know. I have to look it up now. It'll be in the notes.
1: <laughs> is she, is she a, a zookeeper?
0: She was a zookeeper and she's a scientist or in school. Yeah, that's her. Isn't she so beautiful? I love her. Love, love, love her. Hopefully one day I'll get to meet her. Oh, and she's friends with Jason too. They're like good friends. So yeah, definitely. She's so fantastic. I started a Twitter account for the podcast and I found another girl who uses TikTok for her videos.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh my God. I'm in love with her too. I'm going to have to reach out to her. Um, She has the best ones. Jada Elcock. Oh my God. But she uses the TikTok, and then she talks about the animal. Oh, it is so good. So I'm like, I love her now. What's that so name? Nice. Jada, E L C O C K. But she is... Live in Tasmania, New Zealand, and Australia. Another example would be the African penguins. They live in Africa, as the name suggests. They are nocturnal, and in the night, they gather in groups of ten or less to go hunting. She died no more than 230 feet for about 35 seconds. (laughs) She does, like, these little one-minute videos with TikTok about, and, like, that's perfect, you know? People's attention span is short. She teaches them a lot. Yeah, I love her. So, yeah, I missed out on Karina right now. I mean, I'm sure she would still do it, but being that she was just on bird S-word, you know, figured I'd wait. And they asked really good questions. They're obviously professionals. (laughs) I'm not, so she'd probably be like, what kind of ghetto (laughs) podcast is this? I don't know. Just trying to get people interested in birds and why birds are cool and why we love them and why everyone should love them and appreciate them and support birding and buy books about birding and go birding and meet authors that write books about birding. (laughs) Mm. So are you happier in Spain? If you had to be locked down anywhere, I mean, the weather's nice there right now.
1: Yeah, but also, this is my HQ, so I've got all my stuff here. Yeah. If I'm down in London, I'd be really kind of frustrated because I haven't got my, shit, my stuff here, so I've got my stuff here, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm self-contained. Yeah.
0: So you could write two more books all this
1: time. Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if I'm going to be here for long, then that's the plan.
0: Now, where is it that the, I don't know if you know this, I've now this is putting you on the spot, but I just thought of it. ADD brain, wasn't it Spain or Portugal or somewhere where the storks were going to, but they were staying at a garbage dump instead of migrating like they're supposed to, or
1: something like that. They do that across the whole of Iberia, really. I mean, for example, in Extremadura, the region that I'm in, they feed on rubbish dumps here, and they used to winter in Africa, but now lots more staying. But then, you know, some of the birds stay, some birds come from further in Eastern Europe that fly this way, and instead of going to Africa, they just stay. But then some birds migrate one year, and then the next year they stay. So it's not even, there's no rhyme, nor reason to it. It's just, that's how they behave. Yeah.
0: I got to see wood storks in Florida. I just love their face. They're so ugly, I guess. I don't know, I just think they're gorgeous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's your, your wood stork, isn't it?
0: Yeah. yeah
1: the white stork in Europe is quite a pretty bird, really.
0: Oh, it doesn't have that funky face?
1: Or... No, it's just, it looks fairly, fairly clean-looking, actually. Even though the oh. rabbits are more or less the same as the wood stork. They're omnivores. They eat practically anything they can put their feet on. But um just trying to find you...
0: Yeah, I love the wood storks. I just, I just love their face. Those and the black skimmers down in Florida. I just love. I don't know. I guess the different, different look on the birds. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, they have like a regular beak more, that is woody looking. Yeah, I heard something about that. It must have been on a someone else's podcast about the storks and how they weren't migrating like they were supposed to or something because of the garbage they were eating. And they liked it so much they were like, forget it. I'm just staying here then.
1: Exactly. Okay, what's point what's point of traveling?
0: Again, interman got problems. <laughs> I'm sure it was a white guy. <laughs> was like, Let's make the dump. <laughs> it was good seeing you. I'm going to Zoom you anyway, even if we're not doing it for a podcast or whatever. Well, I so enjoyed it. I figured your, like, dance card was full, and you were, like, you had people banging on your door trying to get in, What are you like, grappling hooks or whatever they're called up to your roof.
1: <laughs> I do have some of that, too, but, you know.
0: <laughs> Crazy fans. I know. I deal with it all the time. That's why I got the blinds shut. But the only reason I shut the blinds is because then anytime a shadow goes by or a bird, I would be looking. And when you finally get to come back to America when this is over, then we'll have to go to the Disco Inferno.
1: Exactly.
0: They put on a show. Well, I put on a good show last time with them. My husband, he had to drive home and he's like, people were like coming up like, you need to do something. And he's like, she's fine. (laughs) But they put on an awesome show. All the good hits, disco and full costumes, wigs, big afro wigs. No, so good. DJ, Lindo, what's your middle name? James?
1: Yeah, David James.
0: That's how you're a DJ. How long did you DJ for? I saw that picture of you DJing.
1: <laughs> From when I was about 14 to maybe 15 years ago, 16, 17 years ago. Oh wow! A long time.
0: So you could do that right now too. You got your mixing tables or no?
1: No. No.
0: So you could have a YouTube channel.
1: Yeah, I could do. Yeah.
0: That's what you need to do. People love to see the visual.
1: Well, I got a YouTube channel. You do? Oh, yeah, I'm better. Yeah.
0: I didn't know that. It was probably in your book. I didn't finish the book. <laughs> I got distracted by all the awesome pictures and making notes of all the stuff I was gonna ask you that I haven't. You see all my little things, I'm like, oh, point that out, point that out. There was something I really, really, really was so interested in. I got distracted. I don't know, i have to do it on your second one because you'll be a repeat offender, I'm sure. Urban birding is cool, birding is cool, birds are cool, and you are cool to watch them. True that. All right. And we'll say cheerio. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate you.
1: Let's do it again.
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah. It was nice talking to you. And you. Stay safe.
1: Yeah, well, I've got no option. I know.
0: Talk to you later. Thank you. Well, that wraps up another episode of My Favorite Birder. Please hit subscribe and follow us on Facebook and I'll see you out burden Oh yeah That's what I'm talking about right there Funk oh yeah Yes.